Well, welcome to the last message of Grow Vision for 2011. How many of you enjoyed this series? Hadn't this been a good month? It's been a really good month spiritually and growth and understanding. Turn to Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Let me just give you a few words about um, today and tonight and and the things that are coming. We're going to finish the second part of the, the grow vision, we did two weeks of grow, two weeks of go. If you look at the symbol above me, if this is your first Sunday, we've talked about our vision for this year is summarized in this symbol. If you can see the arrows pointed in, we're saying that, that what we really want to focus on this year and, and believe the Lord is, is drawing us into is growth. Deep, deeper spiritual growth. That's what deeper life's about and other things that you heard. Deeper spiritual growth. So the arrows are pointed in. And then if you can see the arrows that are pointed out diagonally in the corners, then then half, half of this vision is about growing. Half of it is about going. So the arrows are pointed out. We, we sense a call from the Lord to go out and, uh, and minister and touch and reach out to those in our community. Now, as you're turning to Judges chapter 6... Uh, let me give you let me give you a word about tonight. Uh, I want to invite you especially to come tonight. Uh, tonight is going to be uh, a unique service and a shorter service than normal. We're going to do several things. We're going to do we're going to do uh, the Lord's Supper twice. Okay, we're going to have worship and 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 communion together, and then I just want to talk briefly for, for just a few minutes about how to transition off the fast. I think uh, in our society, we don't tend to think enough about transitions. We just tend to start something or stop it. And we don't think about how to do it. We just end or, or pick up. And, and, and there tends to be, we don't, we, don't, um, we don't engage in every way that we can. So tonight I want to share a few thoughts about that. How do you stop the fast? How do you, what's the next week, week or two need to be like? But we're going to do the Lord's Supper twice. Here's what I'm asking you to do. We're going to share communion here together and celebrate the Lord's feast as we end this fast, bring this fast to a conclusion. And then we're going to let out early enough that I want to ask you to go then somewhere to your house, to a restaurant somewhere, and break your fast with somebody. Don't, don't break it by yourself. Let the body of Christ celebrate this time, bring a conclusion to this time, and... and uh, the, Fellowship in the body is such a magnificent thing. And I just want to ask you, find someone tonight you can break your fast with. And let's just enjoy one another. Enjoy each other's company. Enjoy the end of this fast. Enjoy food. It, it'll, it'll be a great time. So I want to ask you to come out. So that's what I mean by the Lord's Supper twice. We'll share it once here, then we'll go somewhere else and share it again. But God will be in it all, I assure you, uh, if, you'll, if you'll give him a chance. So this morning, I want to focus on Judges chapter 6. The man we're going to read about in this passage was a farmer. He was content with his trade. He had no aspirations of ever being anything other than a farmer. He, he had no political aspirations. He had no military aspirations. He re really, as far as I can read, he had no aspirations of being a leader of any kind. But God had a different plan for his life. This chapter and several of the chapters following are about a man named Gideon. 
Now, before I talk about him, if you understand the background of the book of Judges, you'll understand how Gideon came to the point in his life that he came to. The book of Judges was written about a time period just on the heels of Joshua's leadership. In other words, Moses was one of the greatest leaders in the entire Scripture. And then Moses passed the baton off to Joshua, who was known for his obedience to God and faith in God. And the nation carried on for two generations. And the nation did really well. And then as Joshua died, the nation continued to do well until the remnant of elders that served with Joshua died. And after they died, the nation began to plummet into spiritual darkness again. And then the Jews would call out to God for help and repent because the enemy nations, had, but their own sin and their own darkness and depravity had brought on them the judgment of God and other nations would come in and, and sweep over Israel and take what they had and then the people would be broken and humiliated by that and they would cry out to God and repent and then God would raise up a military leader to, to lead them in defeating their enemies. And the period of Judges is one of the lowest times in Israel's entire history. The last, the last verse of the book, to me, is a commentary on, on, or a summary on the entire book. Listen to the last verse, chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So, so you can begin to get a feel now of what this must have been like, what, what this time period must have been like. Complete anarchy. Now, in this book, there's about seven cycles of sin that spanned over 300 years. The cycle would begin by the Israelites disobeying God. They would repent, which would, which would, uh, before they would repent, that sin would always result in bondage. The nation would sink deeper in bondage, and misery, and then the people would repent, they would ask for God's help, and then, and then God would raise up a judge, that's why the book's called Judges, God would raise up a judge to deliver the people from all that cycle, and then peace would come in, and they would enjoy that time of peace, then they'd get distracted again, and they'd disobey again, and the cycle would start over, and that happened about seven times, that same cycle, about seven times in the book of Judges. It was during... One of those cycles that Gideon's story took place. The Midianites were a nomadic people who had overpowered the Israelites and they had chased them up into the caves, into the hills. So the Israelites were living like gypsies on the hillside and in caves and, and uh, wherever they could find shelter. And they would wait, the Midianites would wait until Israel had planted their crops and then they would sweep in and they would, they would take whatever they wanted, destroy their crops, kill their animals. They would take whatever they wanted and kill whatever they didn't want. And, and they would just literally uh, ravish the entire land. And they would wait, they would wait in, uh, through that cycle. Israel went through that for seven years this time. Not, not seven cycles. This cycle had gone on for seven years by the time that Gideon came along. So the Israelites begin to cry out to God again, as they did seven times. Help us, Lord, help us. So God, God began to raise up a judge who would be a deliverer for his people. And what's interesting is, he starts knocking on the door of this farmer. 
who, remember, had no aspirations of being a leader, of being a military leader, of being a political leader. He was a farmer, and he was happy being a farmer. But look at the story in Judges chapter 6, and go with me to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orpha that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, where, he, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. He was threshing wheat inside. A wine press was a, uh, a bricked-in area. He, he would hunker down in there and, and stomp on the wheat and break it down so they could use it. But he would duck down so nobody could see him in that little area. That's what he, he was hiding. He was hiding and trying to scavenge together whatever he could. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, listen, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Have you ever had a question like that? Somebody, you're in the middle of your own turmoil, and somebody says, God loves you. And you say, okay, I know he does. I know that's the right answer. I know that's the right thing to say. And all I can say is, oh, thank you for reminding me. But inside you say, if he loves me, why am I going through this? Can you hear the heart of Gideon? Wait a wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang on. I've got a question. If God is with me, why am I hunkered down in this wine press, hiding for my life to try to get a shrapnel of something to eat? If God is, this isn't my picture of God being with me. My picture of God being with me is riding on a white horse and cutting their head off and taking their vegetables. He says, where are all his wonders? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? Where's the parting of the Red Sea? And where's manna from heaven? And where's the cloud by day and the fire by night? Where are the miracles? Where are they? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian? It sounds like to me saying, what do you mean he's with me? If you're with me, why have I lived for seven years like this? Every time I plant a garden, the Midians come and take it. Why am I hiding in a wine press? What do you mean you're with me? Gideon's basically saying, uh-uh. Is not, is not, is not. He's not with me. Don't tell me he's with me. And who are you? He's with me. If he was with me, I wouldn't be bound by these Midianites. There was a mom cooking and told her little little boy, reach over in the pantry there in the back, the back of the kitchen and get me a can of soup. He said, his eyes got real big. He said, but mom, it's dark in there. And I'm scared. I don't want to go in there. And she said, well, it's all right. Jesus will be with you. So he snuck over to the edge of the pantry where the curtains were split right there. He reached his hand there and he said, Jesus, if you're in there, 
would you hand me a can of tomato soup? What does it mean that God is with you? I didn't, I didn't get the instruction book with that one. What is it? See, the difference in that little boy and us is he's more honest than we are. What he means is, if Jesus is with me, do I still got to go in the pantry? What do you mean you're with me? Does it mean that I actually have to go public with my faith? Does it mean that my relatives who've always known me as one person have now got to become to know me as a believer in Christ? Does it mean that the people that I work with have to come to know me as a person who has put my trust in Him? Does it mean, does it mean that I have to in some way display my belief in Christ? If you're with me, you may say, why am I going through this rough time? If you're with me, why do people react this way? Boy, this morning's devotional was good, wasn't it? Pastor Mark, that was good. Talked about opposition. Lord, if you're with me, I should share my faith. And everyone around should just respond to that positively. But it's not so. If you're, if you're with me, everybody should accept if you're with me, why is this happening? If you're with me, why have I lost my job? There are a few things that are interesting to me in this story. One is, even though Gideon was being terribly oppressed by these nomadic people, God was with him. And I've just got to say, from God's point of view in this passage, the angel thought God was with him and God thought God was with him. It was Gideon that didn't think God was with him. And can I just say this to you this morning? Just because you're down today, if you're down, doesn't mean God's not with you. Just because you're hurt or sick or wounded or lost your job or discouraged or depressed or have had a hard time, doesn't mean maybe you're not successful right now in the things that you want to be successful in. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're in that season of life. Can I tell you, it doesn't mean God's not with you. To me, that's not bad news. That's good news. If He's with me even when I'm down, then He'll surely be with me when I'm up. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. God's answer to Gideon's question is so fascinating to me. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him. What, what must that have looked like? You, you ever had the eyes of the Lord level on you? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? <laughs> now, is there anybody else here that doesn't read that as the answer to the question that Gideon asked? You, you, if you'll read the scripture close, I feel like I, I, I feel like I'm. You ever hear somebody talk on the phone and you can only hear one side? I feel that way sometimes when I'm reading scripture. I feel like, wait, wait a minute, is there a whole conversation I've missed here somewhere? Gideon says, if you're with me, 
Why am I hunkered down in this wine press hiding? If you're really with me, why have I suffered for seven years? If you're really with me, why are you letting the Midians take me over? If you're really with me. And God's answer was, go. Well, well, well wait a minute. You never, you never said if you were with me or not. You never answered my question. You never resolved what the last seven years was about. You never helped me understand what the seven years was about. And God said, he turned to him and said, Go. Well, I can't just go. I mean, I've got to have answers to these questions. I was expecting God's answer to be something like this. The Lord works in mysterious ways. That's what I thought he was going to say. Or I thought he was going to say, this level of suffering is necessary to get you through tough times because it'll build your character and lead to a better end. And God was in control all along. He didn't say anything like that. I didn't read it. He just said, go. (laughs) Can you appreciate the tension that Gideon's in? He's in a full-blown theological crisis. He's saying, wait a minute, if your idea of being with me right now is me hiding in a cave and bouncing up and down on wheat every day, hiding from my life, hoping that I don't get killed while I'm doing it, so I can eke out a seed of food. If that was your idea of being with me, maybe when I go to the Midians, your idea of being with me, or letting them cut my head off. How do I know what you mean by we are with me? Have you ever been there? Do you feel this? You ever been God? I thought you said. I thought you told me. I thought you were with me. I thought this is the way it's going to be. I thought your word said, why? Why am I going through this? Gideon's saying, wait a minute. I'm not sure we're working off the same definition of with me. Because when I see with me, I don't see ran up into the hills, hiding in the back of a cave like a wild animal for my life for seven years. That's not what I pictured when you said, with me. And so I'm not sure when you say, put down your shovel and pick up a sword and go run after the Midianites and, 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 and fight them. I'm not sure what you mean by that, by with me. You're going to be with me there too? Woo, I can't wait for that. With me. Gideon, say, he's saying... Let's at least make sure we're all playing off the same playbook before I leave the wine press. Because they can't see me in here. When, when my wife and I took our first full-time ministry role, we moved to Auburn, Alabama and stayed... Uh, let me give you the background. When I, was in, when I was in Bible school, I heard all these statistics about how long ministers stay in one place and... And what a lack of integrity it is to to stay in a place a short time and not really uh, get to know people and invest deeply. And so I just committed in my heart, I'm going to change the statistics and I'm never going to be one of those people and and I'm not going to shallow out on my integrity like that. And so it was very, very important to me. And so we moved there to Auburn and, and the short story is we stayed eight months. And and it and and it was a. There's no way to describe it now. And it, looking back, it's. I understand. It's not as big a deal. But at that time, 
it was a, it was a full outright theological crisis for me. Because what I, what I had to reconcile with was, I know it's not God's will to live this way. I, I, I've just been preached at it in my soul. I've received it in my heart. I know it's not right to do, to do these kind of fast changes. And, and, uh, and, and, and so, but then here I was right on one. And so what I had to ask myself then, if it's not right to do this, then was it right to ever come here in the first place? Did I even hear God at all? And, and in the middle of that, then I had to figure out, if I, didn't hear, if I thought I heard God and I didn't hear God, then maybe I can't hear God. <laughs> and maybe the place I'm about to move is wrong too. I mean, if I can't hear God, I can't hear God. And, 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 then, and, then, there's, and then there's something wrong with my, with my ears. And if I, if I thought I was sure then and, I, and it was wrong, then maybe I'm wrong now and I don't know it. And, and it was just an outright faith crisis for me. But in the middle of it, here's what's funny. In the middle of it, it just kept sounding like to me, I heard God say to me, go, go, go to Florida. And Stacy and I were praying together about it, and she had the same sense. And go, go, go to Florida, go now. And it was so strange, we didn't even... We never even attended a church service at that church before we went. And, and it just dawned on me on the way there in the rental truck. I was talking to Stacy on the way down. I said, you know, these people could be snake handlers. We don't know anything about them. They could be crazy. What are we, what are, what are we thinking? But, but, but in our soul, it sounded like God said, go. Now, here's the question. How can I, how can I move on until I'm sure that that faith crisis has been reconciled. The truth is, I still don't know today if we were ever supposed to go there or not. But look, here's what's interesting. God doesn't ever get pulled under the weight of these faith crises. He doesn't feel any obligation to them. He doesn't even feel an obligation to explain them. And by the way, they're only a faith crisis to us. They're no crisis to Him. He, was, he wasn't bothered by it. I, all I knew is I couldn't do anything about the past. I could only start from where I was, and I was pretty sure that's what God was saying. Somehow God says to you and I, forget about the faith crisis of the past and move on in me. God felt no obligation to answer any of my questions. But God... You've not been with me. Lord, those of you this morning who you've had some trauma or some issue in your life and you've had those feelings where you think God's abandoned you, can I just say to you, sometimes God's word to you is, let's get going. Sometimes that's it. Sometimes all he says is, let's go. I'm really sorry that you feel that way and I'm sorry that you hurt and I'm sorry about your pain and I'm sorry about all of that but you may never understand the circumstances as long as you live. So let's go. The only thing you can change is the future. The past is set. So Gideon had to move on from that wine press, yet carry the baggage of these unanswered questions with him. And one of the most difficult things to do is to move into new territory with unanswered questions about the last frontier. But sometimes God just says, go. This may not seem like the time in Kingwood's life or Kingwood's history to go. 
We have enough issues of our own to deal with. We have been in a pastoral transition. We need to focus on paying, paying the, the debt and the facilities off. There's plenty of work to be done inside this house to be attended to. This may not seem like the time. But the question I have for you is, is it what he's saying anyway? There's another time in Scripture that Jesus said to go. Matthew 28, 19, he said, do you know the verse? Go into all the world and make disciples. In Judges, God told Gideon, come out of the wine press and go. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I'm sure they, I'm sure they said, and you can see in the book of Acts when they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, they're not ready. They're not ready. I don't think they felt ready. But he said, "Go." what about, Lord, what about that? What about the Pharisees that are after us? What about Rome? What about the political powers? What about the world? It's so pluralistic. What about all the other gods that they bow down to? What about Diana and Ephesus? And what about Ra, the sun god? And what about the pluralism? What about postmodernism? What about, what about the internet? What about the culture? What about pornography? What about liberalism? What about, what about our society? And God we trust is not real anymore. What about the demise of America? What, what about the overwhelming bad news we hear every day? What about Islam's infiltration into America? What about Buddhism? What, what, what about these cults that are coming? What about all this, Lord? And sometimes God just says, I'm not going to reconcile that for you. Go. We can make it a lot harder than it is. And the enemy is more than happy to help. Sometimes God just says, go. In Judges 6, he told Gideon to go. In Matthew 28, he told his disciples to go. I have a question for you. Is this another one of those periods in history where God is saying to you and I to go? You have to answer that question for yourself. I'm suggesting to you that it is. I'm suggesting that's what I'm hearing. I'm saying to you when I read Scripture, when I pray, when my spirit is turned, I, I hear go. I just hear go over and over and over. Is it possible that now is another one of those moments? You may say, how can I go anywhere else? <laughs> I'm, I'm already so busy. Let me ask you a question about that. What if God's call on your life was not to go anywhere new? What if His call on your life was to was to Go where you already are going in a new way. What if that was it? What if it wasn't adding on something to your schedule? What if it wasn't going to a new location? What if it wasn't necessarily even meeting new people? What if his call for you was to go where you're already going? Maybe you think... 
And, and, I, and I, think, I, think we, I think we've talked about evangelism so long in the church and we've seen so little genuine effect of it. And in the last 40 years, the church has seen no growth in North America. And at the same time, what can happen inside this, at the same time, we can begin to become calloused to the call and mission of Christ in a time where we've struggled to be effective. And I, I just drawing on my missions history, I remember William Carey, who stood at the um, his denomination's board, who he was petitioning to send him into the world as a missionary. <laughs> and they said, if God wants to convert the heathen, let him do it. And William Carey basically said, I'll go with you or I'll go without you, but I'm going. And William Carey became one of the greatest missionaries the world's ever known. I, I, think, I think that we have to think about going differently. We have to think about going where we already are. Maybe one of the reasons that we have been so little in effectiveness is because we have approached evangelism as a program. It's a, it's a packaged... You can hear somebody witnessing somebody. It's like a conversation going like this. This is what they taught me at church to say next. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin are death. And... and, and People recoil against that. What, what if there was a way to engage in evangelism that wasn't marketable or a program? It was a relationship. And this is what I've been saying and I'm going to continue to say. Evangelism in the 21st century American culture is by virtue relational. And so inside your bulletin this morning, what I've given you is an evangelism plan for the spring. If you look at... I put two or three copies in every bulletin. So if you don't have a bulletin, this is an incredible time to be the body of Jesus and share. So look around. If somebody's got a bulletin next to you, or if you've got a bulletin, look around at the people next to you. If, if you see somebody without one, just hand them one. We talk about going global a lot. This is our going local. Go local. Here's what I'm saying. Maybe we could go local in a relationship this spring. So basically we've said, if you can do two things a month, if you can do two things a month, you can start to go. Because otherwise, this, if there's not something we do, then this entire part of go ends today and, and we pick it back up at another sermon another time and, and we've not done anything. And so, look, what I'm saying to you is, next Sunday night, we have a Super Bowl. I'm going to show you how the local church and, and the local believer can partner together to do evangelism. And we won't get into the, the broader strategy of it, but it's layered. So, in February, if you could invite an unchurched friend to the Super Bowl, and, and apparently we've invented a new way to spell Sunday, football bash, is that like ice cream Sunday? That's how we say it in the South, Sunday. Sunday. Well, you won't forget it. Invite your unchurched friend to the Super Bowl. 
Now here's the other thing. Pray for them. So in February, what you've got to do is you've got to say, is there, a, is there a friend? Is there a neighbor? Is there a family member? Is there a, someone at work who I know who is unchurched? And can I reach out to them this spring? That's it. And so you invite them there and you pray for them. In March, serve your unchurched friend with an act of kindness. Take them to lunch and pay for it. Give them a gift card. Uh, be observant about their life and see if there's something that they need that you could thoughtfully interject in and, and just serve and just serve them. And they say, why did you do that? I, I, just, I just thought that it would help. That's all. I just thought that it would help. And you're showing them God's unconditional love. So what you're doing now as you're praying, remember what we've said. The presence of Christ moves through servanthood. What was it about Jesus kneeling down and washing the feet of the disciples? What was it about that act that allowed the presence of Jesus to flow into that place like a sweet aroma? So what you're praying in February is, Lord, show me what that action is. And as I do that action, let the presence of Jesus come on them. Lord, let the presence of Christ, as I serve them in your, in your spirit, let the presence of Jesus come on them. And, and, and you'll find God's already working. He's already working in their life. And then in April, oh, and then in March, the last Sunday morning of March, we're going to dedicate... To serve unchurched people. So what we're going to do is have what would look like a very normal normal Sunday morning. But I'm going to be sharing that day the salvation message. And so you, you want to try to bring your friend that day. And, and they may get saved and they may not. But the point is the seed is being sown. It's continuing to be sown. And, and, and at the bottom of this, we've said to you, if your friend responds in some way, if they come that day and they don't accept Christ or they do, next week, follow up on them. What did you think about our church? How, how, did, that, how did that message sound to you? It just, it opens a door. Now we're partnering. Now here's the thing in April. Invite your unchurched friend to participate in Servolution with you. How many of you remember Servolution last year? You remember that? Half of our congregation engaged engaged in that. It was unreal. We're going to serve our community in the streets. It may seem awkward to you, but here's what I want to say. Volunteerism is at an all-time high. The generation behind mine will volunteer three times the service hours that my generation did. So volunteerism is coming up and coming up and coming up. People who don't even know God are still excited about serving. I pr they just want to be involved. They want to do something. If you'll invite them, some of those people will look around. Give them a blue shirt. We'll give them a blue shirt. Some of those people will look around and go, you, you guys are really just, you just care about people, don't you? And the genuineness of that servanthood will break through to them. There's some people that will come to faith that way. I guarantee it. April, invite them to Easter service. Real complicated. It's pretty simple, isn't it? So I'm just going to ask you 
in, in winter and spring, can you partner with us in a simple plan to just reach out and touch somebody's life? And this gives you opportunities to do that. And then at the bottom of your plan there is all the information you need to know what to do uh, as you move along. Now, I want to do this this morning. Today concludes the Grow Vision. Next Sunday, we'll move on into the year and we'll, we'll continue on. But today, I need to ask you for a few commitments to make the Grow Vision work. Our ushers are ready now. If you guys and ladies would go ahead and pass out the commitment cards. And as they're passing out those commitment cards, here's what I want to do. I want to, to quickly share with you the Go Vision. Last, last week we didn't share it. This week I want to share the Go Vision. And I'll, I'll start from Grow. In Grow we talked about devotions. How important devotions were going to be this year. And then we talked about deeper life. You continue to hear about that. We talked about the disciple path. See, what we're doing is we're saying, as those people are coming to faith, we have to have a way to grow them when they come. And we have to have a way to continue to grow all of you that are already here. And so we can work on both sides. Soak. The third Sunday of every month, beginning next month, we're going to have a powerful time. I want to encourage you. You may say, I'm not a Sunday night person. I'm just asking you this year, can you do one? One day retreat will build your devotional life. The CBC Leadership College is starting in August. And we have a few folks that are beginning to enroll already. Now here's the Go Vision. The Go Vision this year is we're going to do two servolutions. One this spring, one in the fall. You know what Servolution is? We just go out and serve our community. Get as many hundreds of people as we can in one day and blitz our community and just serving. Physically, tangibly, loving and serving. Four celebration events. Super Bowl Sunday, you already know about that next Sunday. Celebrate America. We had 8,000 at Celebrate America last year. We're expecting four. <laughs> 4,000, not four people. Block parties. Trunk or treat. Uh, when I first moved here, I sat down with the mayor of Alabaster, Mayor Fringe, and I asked him, what is the greatest need in our city? You know what he said? He said, as long as I've been mayor, every survey that's ever been done, the number one request by far is we need more things for families to do. And so I said, Mayor, I... I don't know what we can do. We'll do our best. And I started to talk to him about Celebrate America. And that is why we've taken on the Super Bowl and Celebrate America and block parties. And we took Trunk or Treat to the community and had seven or eight or 9,000. Who knows how many. This church is beginning to meet the need of this city as our city leaders understand it. Beginning to touch the felt need. This year we're going to have five services that are dedicated to salvation messages. March 27th, I already told you about. Easter Sunday morning is going to be another one. We're going to do two in the fall. You'll, you'll know about them before they come. And then the gospel according to Scrooge is one of the most incredible opportunities for someone to hear the simple 
salvation message. Those five opportunities are going to happen this year. And then we have to, we have to do more in, in, um, in mail-outs and, and signage and billboards and things like that. that. That may seem like the furthest thing that a church should do, but let me explain to you why it's important. George Barna says that, that only one out of seven unchurched people know the name of one church in their community. I, I know you all know the names of the churches in this community because you're in church. But the average unchurched person, only one out of seven, six out of seven can't even tell you the name of one church in their community. Not one. So you have to begin to say, we're here. The other thing we're going to do is Pastor Benny is going to look for and develop a, a group of 12 missionaries. What do I mean by that? 12 missionaries. 12 local missionaries. I don't mean, uh, not to demean these things, but I don't mean clothing or food or, or uh, homeless shelter type ministry. 12 average Shelby County normal people who say, Pastor Benny, I want to walk with you in relationship in the next year. And I want us 12 to learn together how is it that we become missionaries at our job, at our, at our uh, recreation place, at our school, whatever. Whatever your context is, let's learn together how to become missionaries. Do we do a prayer time before, once a week before work? Do we have a lunch? Do we do devotions? Do we, how do we reach into the networks that are already there? He's going he's gonna to bring up a group of 12 12 missionary disciples to learn and that will become the core of our understanding of how to do ministry in the marketplace and in Shelby County that'll that'll ride with us for years the last thing is the go local plan and and you already seen it you already know about it so look at your commitment card to make this year work we need a commitment and here's the commitment. Look on your card there. What I'm asking you to do to grow is to attend deeper life or to be on a ministry team. When you serve, you grow. When you go to deeper life, you grow. You grow differently. You grow in different ways. And they are incomplete without each other. But those of you who are already committed to a ministry team, stay committed to a ministry team. Those of you who are already going to deeper life, keep going to deeper life. Those of you who aren't doing either, I just want to ask you this year, take a step in growth and do one of them. Do one of them because you're going to grow. You will grow. So, can you make a commitment? We'll probably have 10 or 11 soak services this year. Third Sunday of the month, third Sunday night of the month. If you'll make a commitment to attend Soak, just say, look, I, I, I've got this schedule, I've got this, I've got that, I've got the other. Can, can you work around that time? Can you make a commitment? Can you schedule yourself? Can you work your life around? Can you pull together and let, let us hear God and touch God on that Sunday night? And that'll become the fountain of spiritual life for this church. Soak. Will you participate in the Go Plan? 
Will you say, this spring, I'm going to do it? You don't have to be perfect. You're not going to do everything perfectly. But will you say this spring, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the go plan. Now, these, this little logo on here may throw you off. This logo is actually a checkbox. Check the boxes. I'm asking you to commit to all of them. If for whatever reason you can't do that, at least check the boxes that you're doing. Check the boxes. Here's the, here's the thing in give. I'm asking you to make a commitment this year, a sacrificial commitment. For those of you who are tithing, to move your tithe to 11%. Now you may say, well, that's not in the Bible. Well, you'd be exactly right. It's not there. Sacrifice is there. We are at a point in our history, uh, and, and I know you felt this, and I don't have to explain the economic times to anybody in this room. You, most of you work in that economy every day of your life, and you face realities, and you know it. And I'm just saying we're at a point where, where we can get crimped. Uh, Pastor Clark, I can tell you, we, we have shifted and aligned and turned and cut and changed, and we've done everything we can do. What I don't want to see happen is the vision start to be scaled back because we just can't support it. So I'm asking you to make it 11%. Let me show you how that works. Make the commitment for the year to tithe 11%, and at the end of the year, just simply stop. Nobody's going to write you. You don't have to write anybody. You don't have to tell anybody. Nobody has to say anything to you. Make the commitment in your heart. Make it good for a year. At the end of the year, we come to December of 2011. And when you hit January of 2012, you just simply go to 10%. And that's it. Uh, we have some things. We've got a, a hurdle that we've got to get over. And we've got to come up some to get over it. And, and, and we think that the other things that we have, once we get over that hurdle, we're going to be, we're going to be good. So if you can do that, that's what that's about. The Grow Legacy Giving. This Grow Vision, everything that I've talked to you about, the one-day retreats, deeper life, disciple path, uh, the Go, Go Evangelism Strategy, Servolution, uh, Celebrate America, Trunker, just on and on. All of these things, all of these things obviously take resources. And what, what I'm going to ask you to do is two things. One is... You can give to the Grow Legacy Fund, and the, that fund does two things. It continues to pay the debt down on our Legacy Center. Last year, we paid down $100,000 in debt, and we are just over $600,000 on the Legacy Center now. If you, can, if you can keep paying into that fund, we want to keep lowering the debt and raising the vision. And your giving will do that, as well as your giving will fund the vision. So what I'm asking you to do is make as much of a monthly commitment as you can. Now, if you can do $25, $50, $100, $200, some of you may be able to do even more than that. Maybe four or $500. Everything you give shoots straight in, into that, that vision. And so I'm asking you to make as big a commitment as you can make and hold it for the year. Now, let me give you something that's already happened. We met with the leadership of this church... The first Sunday, uh, uh, second Sunday of this month. And over 100 leaders have already committed. This isn't something we just pass on and say, everybody do and, you know, the people who lead don't do. 
100 leaders, over 100 leaders in this church have already made a commitment to do 11% tithe this year. Over 100 leaders in this church have already committed to, to make commitments to the grow and legacy vision and have committed almost $4,000 a month in support to that vision. So we've already got a lot of momentum going. What I'm saying to you is, can you, can you jump in with us? Over 100 leaders have already said, I'll go to soak. Over 100 leaders have already said, I'll go to deeper life. Here's what I'm saying to you this year. If we can grow and we can go and we can give, then what's going to happen is your life and my life is going to change and this church is going to change and this community is going to be impacted and will be different than it is this year. It's that simple. If you can grow, if you can go, if you can give, you'll see change. God's going to do change. He's going to do change in us that we need. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You've had the card. Oh, here in the in this area, when you're filling this out, let me tell you what the, the carrier things, the cell carrier. We, uh, we've got a way now to send you updates by text. So, for example, if we're getting close to another soak or, or, or something's happening or we want to give you an update on something, we can give you a short text if you'll give us your cell phone number and your... But we have to have your carrier. Your carrier, not pigeon. We have to have the company that supplies your cell phone service. Does that make sense? So if you can give that to us too, uh, boy, we can really connect together. When the one-day retreat's coming... We can say, hey, don't forget, three weeks left and one day retreat's going to be here. We can just give you a quick little update. We're not going to kill you. We're not going to text you to death. We're not going to burn your minutes up. Those that you pay by the text, we're not going to wear you out, okay? And we're not going to send you any spam or I don't even know what all you can send. Bologna or spam or potted meat. I don't know what all you can send through cell phones, but we're not going to do any of that to you, okay? Now... I want you to stand with me this morning. As we close the service this morning, we have sang a song that has resonated in our heart. And we have said, this is, this is my devotion. This is my commitment. And I'm going to ask you this morning, as we're closing this service, to simply bring your, bring your commitment card. You can put it face down. And just lay it on the steps. And inside these buckets down here. Are, are 5,000 invitations to the Super Bowl party. And so whatever your commitment level is. Or, or even if you're not making a commitment at all. I still want to ask you to come and grab, you need five of these, you need ten of these, you need twenty of these. Grab how many you need. And this week, pass this out and invite somebody to.